0: I bring you the greetings of Shalom Church, Singapore uh, It's good to be back here after six years I don't remember Yeah, And, and thank you Moses for your introduction uh, I'm sure many of it is just exaggeration yeah. I think we should know one another better And then you might change your introduction after that Our text for this morning is Psalm 107 Psalm 107 gives us four scenarios of life Here is the first Verse 4 to verse 9 Have you ever been lost? You are moving But it is in a circle And therefore you are not making any real progress whatsoever There is an English translation of verse 4 that reads, Wander in the wilderness in a desolate way. And that has gone on for some time, for so long that you actually cannot remember. In one word, you are stuck. Is that a familiar feeling? And in your lost and stuck situation, you are exhausted, you are in extremity, you are helpless, you are vulnerable. That's what verse 4 and verse 5 is describing, actually. And it could be talking about a physical situation like when I was once lost in the forest of MacRitchie Reservoir. Or it could be a non-physical situation like being stuck in an abusive, toxic relationship and you have no way of getting out. Or it could simply be being stuck in a very boring, meaningless job With a pitiful pay And a boss who just often hangs you out to dry And you can't resign Because you are bonded What's your emotional state then? What do you wish could happen and would happen? And where would you turn for help? Or who would you turn for help? So that's the picture given to us in verse 4 to verse 9 of Psalm 107 And there is no explicit statement in the text to explain why these people are lost and stuck. You see, the word sin, S-I-N, did not appear in those six verses, not even once. And therefore, let's refrain from joining the three friends of Job. Rather, as we look at our text, our text talks about these people experiencing what is called trouble in verse 6. And distress as well Same verse So you can think of an English word That aptly summarizes the whole situation It's a four letter English word It's P-A-I-N, pain And in their pain We want to ask what did they do And what happened If they have done it Because in, in our pain We want to ask what will we do And after we have done it What's going to happen Our text for this morning is Psalm 107 Psalm 107 gives us four scenarios of life Here is the second Verse 10 to 16 If you look at these few verses It looks like the previous section Lost and stuck But with a difference Because this time you know It has something to do with sin You say, how do you know? Well, we will see very soon But There is an English translation that I quite like It's called the New English Translation It renders verse 10 as They sat in utter darkness Bound in painful iron chains I know this church used the ESV The ESV says in verse 14 Burst their bonds apart but the New English Translation renders it as "tore of their shackles. So you get the idea. Here is a picture of someone who has shackles on their feet with chains around their necks and around their hands. And then verse 16 of the ESV talks about doors of bronze and bars of iron. So it's the same, same picture given to us. Someone is stuck. This person is now stuck in a prison He's stuck in a prison of maximum security And there is no way out And like in the previous scenario This time, they, they will meet with trouble And they will meet with distress again Look at verse 13 But it does go a little bit further Verse 12 talks about being stuck and falling down why would they fall down? Verse 14 They fall down because of the darkness So try to imagine right now Yourself living in, in darkness Look, It's not just darkness It's utter darkness But it's not just utter darkness It's utter darkness for the rest of your life It is depressing, isn't it? And it's despairing And then the last line, the verse 12 says We have no one to help So is it painful? Of course it's painful You see, in the previous scenario To wander in the wilderness Dying of thirst and of hunger It is, it is a painful thing But now, to be, to be told that you'll be locked up in a prison And the future for you is either your body rotting away or one day your head will be removed from your body. It's equally painful. It's not nice feelings. But what is even more painful is to know that you are in this situation because of your sin. Verse 11 leaves us in no doubt that sin, S-I-N, is what caused the second scenario. Sin always has a price to pay. In your sin, you you want what you want And in your sin, you get what you want And in your sin, you realize you don't want what you get That's how it is We all know that But the price is heavy It's too heavy Then what? Then how? Well, as they suffer and as they are weighed down by this knowledge That it was their sin that brought them into this terrible pit What did they do? They cried out to the Lord, says verse 13. And for many of us who goes to church every Sunday, that is kind of like, nah, so bland. They cry out to the Lord. We do that every Sunday. But it's actually very amazing that they should be crying out to the Lord in this scenario. Because why would you ask the person whom you have offended to save you from the troubles that was the consequence of your offending that person. Is that too long a sentence? Well, let me try again. I slapped the president of Singapore. I went to jail as a result. I appealed to the president of Singapore to deliver me from jail. What kind of a logic is that? Why would I do that? Either I'm mad, or there must be something about the president of Singapore that led me to do that. What do you think? It's not a Bible study, right? Yeah, so you're not allowed to talk. Why would these people turn to the God whom they have offended and ask for deliverance? Why? What's your answer? And what's the real answer? Some 107 is our text for this morning Our text gives us four scenarios of life Scenario number 3 Verse 17 to 22 Have you met a recalcitrant person? A a what? Recalcitrant I'm not sure whether I can spell it without my notes A recalcitrant is defined in the dictionary As someone who is stubbornly resistant to And defiant of authority if you, if you use a thesaurus, it will tell you that this person is pig this person is fractious, and so on. C- can you imagine living with someone like that? A recalcitrant. And what if you add to the word recalcitrant another word called recidivism? Oh dear, another word that is very hard to spell. Recidivism refers to the repeated or habitual relapse into something. In psychiatry, it refers to the chronic tendency towards repetition of criminal or antisocial behavior patterns. So imagine a family member And this family member is stubbornly resistant and defiant of authority. And he or she repeatedly do what is wrong. What are you going to do with her? Or him. What if that family member is you? The Bible calls such a person fool. F-O-O-L. Fools in the Bible are not mentally deficient people, they are morally deficient. Fools in scripture are the perverse, not the unintelligible says a Bible commentator. And verse 17 tells us that these fools are afflicted and their afflicts, affliction are self-inflicted. Have you met people like that? They are greatly afflicted and they ask you to pray for them but you realize that their afflictions are self-afflicted. And you say, how do I pray for them? They have transgressed, they have broken the Lord of God and they, as a result they are suffering. But they keep going back to their iniquities and they keep on suffering. And things are never static Because they keep moving But this time it's not moving forward It's a downward movement And their sufferings got so worse If you look at your, this section The text of this section It, it becomes so bad that they actually loathe any kind of food And they drew near to the gates of death Can you imagine in your life right now Someone in such a miserable condition I actually can Would you pity them? Well, we should But then when you remember That it was their recidivism That landed them here You might be tempted to slip in an additional phrase But actually they deserve it, right? But friends, have you ever found yourself right here As described in verse 17 and 18 You are in a super desperate state You know you are there because of your rebellion in the past decades and your friends, they, almost all of them have left you. They're not answering your, your calls anymore and they blue at you all the time. And your family members have also avoided you as far as they can. You were not invited to the CNY dinner. The question you are asking right now is, has even God forgotten me? Has He? Will He hear me if I humble myself just this once and ask Him for Help Yes H-E-L-P Help But why would he help me? What another four-letter English word? G-O-O-D Good Because God is good Isn't that the constant refrain Since verse 1? Did you miss that when it was being read for you? He is good He is good He is good Because of his goodness But how good is God? How good is God? How will you answer that question? Why not do what this recalcitrant recidivist Why not do what they did in verse 19? What did they do in verse 19? Why not do what they did in verse 19 and find out for yourself because very often it's better for the preachers not to tell you what, is, what to expect But for you to go and try out and to taste for yourself Just how God, how good God is Our text for this morning is Psalm 107 Psalm 107 gives us four scenarios of life Here is scenario number 4, verse 23 to 32 Have you heard of the perfect storm? Have you ever experienced one? Literally, a perfect storm means a particularly violent storm that arises from a rare combination of adverse meteorological factors. But figuratively, it's what we're more interested in. A perfect storm in your life is an especially bad situation caused by a combination of unfavorable circumstances that drastically aggravates The situation Now it is like a normal day It's just a normal day And you go about your daily routine You're not doing doing anything special You are doing what you used to do And you are quite skilled in doing it And then a storm hits you It's not just a storm It's a bad storm One that we call a perfect storm but initially you feel it was alright Just like most of us felt it was alright In the early months of 2020 we we'll use whatever skills we had we we'll rely on our past experiences In dealing with somewhat similar situations from the past But you see, this time, nothing works In fact, the sky is falling And the ground beneath you opens up you're badly shaken. You reach out your hands to hold on to those metal bars, but they, the metal bars melt into nothing as soon as you grasp them. You feel that you are going to die if not already dead. Actually, that's the situation depicted for us of the sailors in verse 23 to 32. Because verse 23 tells us it, it was like a normal day for those people. There were people who do business in the great waters. They have seen storms before. They have dealt with storms previously. They are not green horns. They are old birds. But this time, it is so different. And so verse 25 talks about the stormy wind that causes the sea waves to be lifted. And if you read verse 26 to 27, and here's a glimpse into my own life, Moses. I read verse 26 and 27 and I think of myself sitting on a Viking in some amusement park. Never invite me there. I'll vomit. But it's not a Viking in an amusement park. It is a real storm in real life. And it's so bad the souls of those people melted, says the scripture. For verse 27b talks about them being at their wit's end, meaning that none of the skills that they had and which they trusted in, it didn't work this time. Have you ever been in such such a situation? All your experiences in the past that you've accumulated for the past 50 years, none of them work. What's the reason for this storm? Well, like in scenario number one, sin is not mentioned. And frankly, it need not be sin that led to the storms in our life. Don't you agree? It could just simply be an exercise of God's sovereignty. In fact, verse 25 makes it very clear that it is God who commanded and raised the stormy wind, it came from Him. Not what the world will call as bad luck Or it's just simply chance But why would God do a thing like that? I thought you say right at the beginning of the sermon God is good Well yes He is But have you heard this saying That God is good but He's not safe? God is good and so everything that comes from God is good And there is a a statement in the New Testament That that goes something like this God is light and in Him there is no darkness If I I may borrow it I will say God is good And in Him there is no badness Since there is no badness in God There is no badness that will come from God Therefore His will is good His reasons are good His words are good And His actions are good And God is good And therefore his, His reasons for giving this perfect storm Is good but by saying that it is good, it doesn't mean that we, our brains are good enough to understand it. We are puny creatures. We don't fully understand why God, in His goodness, will allow this perfect storm to come upon these people mentioned here, or in my life. Our inability to comprehend does not mean that the reason is not good. And as always... The wisest thing to do in a perfect storm is not to curse or complain, but to cry. Cry out. Help me. Lord. When is the last time you you utter those three words to God? Help. Me. Lord. So these are the four scenarios that are given to us in Psalm 107, verse 4 to 32. Can you relate to any of them, to some of them, to all of them, or to none of them? Maybe you say, I can't relate to any of them. All right, then let's try verse 33 to 41. We still have time, right? And this nine verses talks about reversal. Did you see that? Because it talks about a a desert being turned into a pool of water, verse 35. Poor and oppressed people being lifted up and free from affliction. Verse 41, is that good? Oh, that's very good. That is a kind of very good reversal. But the reverse can also take place. The other direction... Verse 34, a fruitful land is turned into a salty waste. Why? Because of the wickedness of the inhabitants. Arrogant and oppres- oppressive princes are brought low and make to wander in the wilderness. Verse 39 and verse 40, it is reversal, isn't it? Either direction, from good to bad or bad to good. And the text leaves us in no doubt at all that God is the main actor, He is the ultimate actor by repeating the pronoun He have a look in your Bible, in verse 33, 35, 36, 38, 40, 41 He, 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 he Here is the one who brought about the reversal Alright, I think it's time to just pause and ask what, what is the psalmist up to? Giving us these four scenarios and these two reversers in this psalm what, what is he trying to tell us? Actually, it's just one very simple message The message is, God is good because God is good, He gives us the perfect storm and then guides us into the safe haven. Because God is good, He rescues even recalcitrant recidivitists. Because God is good, although He's the offended one, He shows mercy to the offender. He breaks our bronze gate. He cuts out, he cuts out our iron bars and He brings us out of darkness. Because God is good, He satisfies our longing soul. He fills our hungry soul with goodness. God is good all the time. In every other scenario, you can end up with the conclusion, God is good. And therefore, the overall message is, God is good all the time. And that is emphasized in verse 1 once again, God is good. Let me just read that verse for you once more. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good for His steadfast love endures forever. God is good, declares the psalmist. How? In what way is God good? Well, the psalmist says, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is a translation of a Hebrew word, hesed, which means covenant love, faithful love, loyal love. And basically, God has made a covenant with his people and because of this covenant, he will love And because God will be faithful to his covenant, he will continue to love these people no matter matter what. That is the meaning here. But why? What covenant are we talking about? What covenant love are we talking about? It is the covenant of redemption. Redemption. All the way in eternity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit has entered into a covenant where the Father would choose a people and give them to the Son and requiring the Son to accomplish their salvation through his obedient life and through his substitutionary death, promising to give him a reward of these people upon the completion of his work. The Son accepted the gift, agreed to the condition of the covenant, Submitted himself to the Father's will And came to serve as their prophet, their priest and their king The Holy Spirit promised to apply the benefits earned by the Son Upon these chosen people and then unite them to the Son forever This is called the covenant of redemption It is the basis for all the covenants that you read in your Bible And people like you and me, we are included in this covenant Not as signatories But as beneficiaries You know the difference, right? And the psalmist goes on to tell us That in this covenant There are these people called the redeemed Verse 2 And the word redeemed in Hebrew Is meant to make us think of this character In the Old Testament called The kinsman redeemer The kinsman redeemer is someone Who is going to go out of his way To help you and to save you When you are in trouble and He's going to do it because He's in a relationship with you. He's your close relative. He's your family related by blood. Your kinsman who is going to serve as your Redeemer. But here in Psalm 107, who is the kinsman Redeemer? He's God Himself. Why is He our kinsman Redeemer? And the answer has to be because of the covenant of redemption. He's going to redeem me because of the covenant made between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And because of the covenant of redemption, Jesus came and he is in the flesh and in blood, my kinsman redeemer. So in the interest of time, we just circle back to Psalm 107 and look at the first scenario if you can. Verse 4 to verse 9. Here I am wandering in the wilderness, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and what happens? My kinsman redeemer provides for me. Here I am wandering in the wilderness, I'm weary and I'm exhausted and what happens? The kinsman redeemer gives me rest. Here I am in the wilderness, I'm exposed to danger, my kinsman, kinsman redeemer, he comes and he leads me to a city and there I can dwell in safety and you ask me a very logical question, are you talking about this physically? And my answer is, yes, it is physically, but much more than physical, it's also spiritual. Because what is the use of me being satisfied and being full physically when I continue to hunger and thirst spiritually? How, can, how safe can I be if I'm, I'm only safe from physical harm, but I'm vulnerable to all the spiritual harm and to all my spiritual enemies? And therefore, if you go all the way to the New Testament... Jesus Christ is presented to us as the bread of life to satisfy my hunger, as the water of life to quench my thirst, as the giver of true rest to give to, to, for, for me, the weary and heavy laden, and the good shepherd, oh, I need him to guide me, because my heart and my feet goes astray, and more than that, as the good shepherd who will lay down his life for me. As a kinsman redeemer, he redeems me both physically and spiritually, both now and for all eternity. That's why the Christian is the most blessed person in this world, even outwardly if he doesn't look so well. What should I do? After receiving all this goodness and after experiencing his covenant love? There's only one thing to do, say Psalm 107. Give thanks to Him. Exalt Him in the assembly of the people and praise Him in the company of the elders. Which is what we are doing right now, isn't it, this morning? We are here to sing the praises of God. Why? Because in our singing, we are saying, God, You are good. And You are good to us because of the covenant love. Because You have made this covenant among the members of the Trinity and we are the beneficiaries of it. Have you done it? Will you do it? for the rest of your life. I want to end the sermon this morning speaking to two groups of people especially. Number one, cry Hosanna so that you can shout Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, Hosanna means, save me, Lord. In the Old Testament, Hallelujah means, praise the Lord. There is a difference, right? So my dear friends, there is no hallelujah, there is no praise the Lord in your life until there is first hosanna, save me Lord, from your lips. So it it doesn't matter whether you are an adult or a child, whether you see yourself as a Christian or otherwise, I appeal to you, I call you, I urge you, I invite you, I command you. Shout Hosanna. Say to God this morning, Save me, Lord. Humble yourself and ask for help. Not just help physically, but help spiritually. You can't conquer your sin. You can't save yourself. Save me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Look at the four scenarios of Psalm 107. Isn't Hosanna the most sensible cry? But it's something that proud people will not ever utter from their mouth. But if Hosanna is missing from your lips, Hallelujah is going to be missing in your life. Maybe you are a smart person. I'm sure you are. But a smart person, person in church, and you've heard about covenant and election, and you say, what if I'm not involved in the covenant of redemption? What if I'm not elected? My dear friends, the Bible doesn't call you to find out whether you are. Never. The Bible just... It's ever so practical. The Bible just says, cry out to the Lord. What, what if I cry out to the Lord? What, what... Cry out to the Lord. There is no hallelujah. If you... There is no hosanna. Your, your job is to cry hosanna. And may one day, when I see you again, you'll be shouting hallelujah. Cry it out to him. Go come and taste that the Lord is good. And I must sit down very soon, so I come to my last point. Aim to be humbly grateful, not grumpily hateful. I'm talking to a certain group of Christians, and I belong to this group. If you are 40 years and above, and you've been in church for a while, like me, we need to be very careful. Because for some of us, if we continue in our current conduct, the trajectory will be that people will look at us very soon as someone who is a grumpily, hateful senior. Have you met such people? You meet them and you say, Oh no, I should have turned left just now. Because once they catch you, they will tell you all the negative things and all the complaints and all the... All the of the time the talk and the thoughts is about how bad that person is and how terrible she has treated me 90% you know what about the remaining 10% it's complaint about God please stop and read Psalm 107 instead I know it's very long but read it again and note how the psalmist give thanks to God. But you say, it's not practical, it's not real. How can he do that when life on earth is so hard and the people around him are so evil? Well, that's the point, that's the point. That's why we come to church. Because we are done being reminded. Our, our response is not natural response. It's a supernatural response. The psalmist deliberately, intentionally went against the grain he could recall how he has all his ups and downs, but he would want to recall as well that despite his ups and his downs, there is his God who is with him and who is faithfully, loyally loving him and redeeming him. And so I want to appeal to this group of Christians, which I include myself in it. Remember, make effort to remember his mercy. I just less than seven days ago, uh, at the privilege of sitting down and eating dinner with my wife and my, eldest, my youngest daughter, and we came to this resolution that at, at dinner time, we will, we will share with one another one happy thing that happened today. I suppose my daughter realized that when my wife and I are getting older and older, we talk about all the negative things. And I don't think she can take it anymore. So say, let's <laughs> learn to talk about one happy positive thing a day. And I appreciate that because that reminds us we need to look for happiness in our life that is a result of God's blessing and give thanks. And give thanks. So instead of remembering what that man said to you 20 years ago, why not choose to remember God's goodness to you 20 seconds ago? Instead of repeating again and again, Repeat me say it again, right? Instead of repeating to yourself what, he has, what she has, has done to you 40 years ago, just recall God's faithful, loyal love to you yesterday. Will you be people who are humbly grateful or grumpily hateful? Use the four scenarios of Psalm 107 as a starting point to recall God's kindness to you. And above all, my dear friends, rehearse the gospel to yourself every day. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Tell yourself the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And actually, and seriously, when when I come to my deathbed, there is nothing else worth talking about than Jesus and his love. This is the word of God and may it bring blessing to your soul. Amen.